Hello and welcome to the Renaissance Polymath. I'm your host, Toby Gagnon, and this episode is going to be a little different from my normal ones. The following is a recording of a seminar that I taught not long ago. If you'd prefer to watch this seminar, you can click the link in the show notes and it will take you to the YouTube channel where you can do just that. So sit back, relax, and thank you for listening. All right. We'll go ahead and get things started. It is 7 o'clock. Um, if you don't mind, just keep an ear on the door, and if somebody's knocking, let them in. Perfect. Thank you. So welcome to tonight. Um, my name is Toby Gagnon. I'll be taking you through everything here this evening. Last time we were here, the last seminar, we talked about first steps to preparedness, which is more identification and introspective, figuring out what's most likely to happen to you, and then what assets and things you have available to you already that you may not know, and then what liabilities you have, right, doing an assessment. And then we talked about some skills. We talked about the eight skills. Can anybody name any of those eight skills? Navigation. Yeah. navigation, yeah, land navigation. That was one. What else? Radio. radio, communications, yep, ham radio. First aid, yeah, that's three. What's growing food, yep, gardening, hunting. Canning, preserving food, right? Food preservation, organization. Vehicle maintenance, there's one more. Safety care. Medical, yeah, we talked medical. Somebody must have written them down, right? Go ahead, look back. We got one more. We got one more. Medical has been said. What is it? Lock picking. That's the one. Right. So there were eight. So who went home and tried any of those or did any research on any of those? I tried to research the keys and it was. You tried to research the keys? Okay. I, before we leave tonight, come up. I'll give you some information. I actually have them in this bag. I'll show you some of them. Okay. Um, and then we'll talk about it. I'll make sure you leave with that information. Martin, what'd you try? I went through my, my old bag of locks and just started things. Just, okay. Just went back through and just started getting back into it. Getting a feel for it. Anybody else try anything or research anything? Yeah, I found freeze-dry, organic freeze-dry. Organic freeze-dry. dehydrated. Right, okay. Right. You know, it was preferable. My alarm was longer, a couple years longer. Right. So plastic is permeable mm -hmm. to a degree, right? It, it, mylar is less permeable it than plastic. Right. It becomes more of a vacuum seal thing. Yeah. You, you always see those. Well, you will see certain things on the internet. It's like, did you know you can vacuum seal your Ziploc bags by dipping it in water or putting the straw in and doing that? It's like, that's not a vacuum seal because it's the thinnest plastic known to man. Barely keeps water out. So, no, it does not keep air out. Well, good. So, yeah, last time we talked about a lot of stuff. Today, tonight, we're going to talk about kits. We're going to talk about the different types of kits and how you can quite literally effectively build one, how to put one together. So, we've already gone through some introductions. Uh, we're going to talk critical thinking, identification, and introspectives. We will talk first steps, EBP, education, procurement, and building, and then we'll get into types of kits. If you have a question, ask the question. We are all here to learn. And I may even ask you a question, because I don't know the answer to. So going back to strengths and weaknesses, when you are doing anything, you have to do an assessment, just like we talked about last time. You have to identify what assets you have and what liabilities you have. Strengths, weaknesses, same kind of thing. When you're building a kit and you're putting a kit together, you should probably know what climate it's going to be. Because guess what? That bag you put together in June for your trip to the beach, probably not going to be the same items that you're going to take into the mountains in February. It will change, likely, with the different seasons, with the climate that you're going to. If you're going to a completely different part of the country, you should probably know the climate there. Is it more likely to be wet? or is it more likely to be arid? Do you need to pack more water? Stuff like that. Location, population density is a big one. Infrastructure, infrastructure not just roads, but think power, water, utilities, things like that. And then restricted areas. If you go into an area, let's say um, a building of some kind, you always see those doors, You know, authorized personnel only, doors locked, you gotta badge yourself in or something like that. Understand your location may have some restricted areas, 
But like we talked about last time, what's the surefire way to get in anywhere? Hard hat, high-vis vest, and a clipboard. Get you in a lot of places, right? Uh, resource availability. Resources, not just food and water, but obviously food, water, shelter. But what about help? What about aid? Are you near a hospital? Is the hospital actually helping people? Is it functional? Is it affected by the same scenario that you're currently going through? If, um, I've seen a lot of advertisements for a show about a hospital in the Katrina zone. When, you know, when Katrina came and rolled through, obviously hospitals were overrun. They were affected by the same crisis. And now there's going to be a show on that. I'm sure it will be dramatized. But it would be interesting to see maybe what things look like because they're pulling from real events and they're taking their own creative spin on it. But eventually the, that information has to come from somewhere, right? Network, just like we talked about last time. Preparedness is not a lone wolf thing. Preparedness should be community-based. Whatever that community means to you, whether it's just a couple neighbors, whether it's very close family, or whether it's your whole neighborhood, your whole county, a specific group, uh, whatever that looks like. To include children and pets, like we talked about last time, not all shelters will take in pets. So you've got to know if, if you need to go to a shelter, a fallout shelter, or some sort of hurricane shelter or tornado, tornado shelter, can you bring your dog? Because that will be a decision you will have to make. Either leave the dog or don't go. Skills and knowledge. We talked about them last time. There were eight that I recommended. Obviously, there were a whole host of others. Physical fitness level. That is going to come into how heavy your kits can be if you have to walk with them. And we'll get through that here in a second. And then vehicle. Size, fuel range, and reliability. If you've got a smart car, it's probably going to be a little, well, a little laugh there. Okay. Well, hopefully nobody here has a smart car. She's laughing at you. Uh, it's probably going to be a different approach than if you had a Tahoe or something like that. Something capable off-road that can hold a lot of stuff. Understand for everything that you do, I recommend going through a similar approach. What are your assets? What are your liabilities? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And be true to yourself. So first steps, how to set yourself up for success. Education. It's exactly why you're here tonight. You're here tonight to learn. And hopefully I can at least share some of my experience with you and maybe you can learn from it and not have to waste a lot of money on it. Tools are only effective in the hands of someone who knows how to effectively use them. You can buy the coolest stuff on the planet, the best tool possible. But if you've never been trained on how to use that tool, you're not going to be effective with it at all. You might not even know when to take that tool out of the bag, what scenario needs that tool, or when that tool might be helpful. So don't carry something you're unfamiliar with simply because it made somebody's list. I'm not going to go through, to much disappointment I'm sure, everything that's in these bags in front of you tonight. These are two bags, which we'll get to a little later on. I have no intention of going through this for two reasons. One, it's very specific to me right? And my scenario and my vehicle, etc. But also, if you want to find out what's in everybody's EDC bag or vehicle kit, go to YouTube and look around. Just punch in those keywords, which we'll talk about and we'll define later. Punch in those keywords and you will not be short of stuff to look at. Go look at somebody else's stuff, learn from them, but don't put something in your bag just because it made their list. If you live on top of a mountain, a flood is probably not something that's on your likely scenario. Uh, you don't have to be an expert, but I would encourage a basic and functional understanding of many different topics, just like we talked about last time. I don't expect you to know how to replace an engine in a car, but knowing how to change the oil probably be beneficial. Filters, etc. same thing. Uh, jack of all trades, master of none. I really like that phrase because it implies that you know enough to be dangerous. You know enough to get by. You know enough to know that you don't know enough, more importantly. Your ego isn't going to get in the way. Uh, very, very many educational resources available. Trust, but verify. Trust the stuff I'm telling you tonight. Of course, I'm not going to lie to you. I have, no, I have nothing to gain from lying to you this evening. But verify the things that I'm telling you as they pertain to you. So if I say, buy a quality tourniquet, Go out and look as to maybe why should you buy a quality tourniquet. I'm sure there's plenty of videos and stories out there as to why you should get quality stuff. The answer is because your life may depend on it. Absolutely, your life may depend on it, yes. And don't forget to factor yourself into any equation that you're working on. Fitness and education play a much bigger role than you think. 
you might think, I got this. Your ego just got in the way. And you may become a harm to yourself and others. And if there's others that are relying on you in that network of people, you've just became a liability that they weren't planned or they hadn't planned for. They weren't prepared to deal with. You might be the person that knows how to fix the vehicles in the group. And now you can't use your hands or you can't see because your ego got in the way. So factor yourself into any equation that you're working on. So that's the education piece. Procurement. Go out and buy a bunch of crap, right? Kind of, yes. But be careful when selecting your items because you quite literally do get what you pay for. I use the example of a tourniquet because it's an easy one for folks to understand the ramifications of if you get it wrong. You get it wrong, you may not have the ch chance to ever be wrong again or somebody else. Um, you don't want to skimp on something if you can help it simply because it made somebody else's list or you're like, I have to have this tool. I absolutely have to have this tool. Well, you probably didn't need that particular type of tool. You maybe needed something different or at the very least you needed the best quality that you could afford and you rushed to it too quick trying to build everything in two days as opposed to taking two or three years to make sure you have all the stuff and familiarize yourself with it. So just understand you absolutely do get what you pay for. Take the time to learn the stuff and buy the quality stuff. And then I strongly recommend buying individual items and putting the kits together yourself. Do not, if I can impart anything on you this evening, do not go to Walmart, buy a survival kit, stick it in your car and think you're good. There's a reason it costs $14. And if it's got 30 items in it, quick math tells me that each one of those items costs less than a buck. And guess what? Walmart still made money on it. So how much did it really cost to put together? And are you willing to trust your survival on something like that? Probably not. It's probably not the best quality stuff. And odds are, you don't even know where that stuff is located. How do you know if something in that kit is also wrapped inside of it? You tear it open, you're like, oh, I need a whatever, insert thing here. I need that. And you get in there and it's all wrapped up. You don't have a knife on you to cut it open or whatever it is. Or maybe it is a knife that you're looking for and you can't open it because you don't have a knife to open it with. <laughs> Wouldn't that be ironic? Build the kits yourself. Procure the supplies. Put your own stuff together. Why? Because then you'll know where everything is. And do I say it here? I don't think I say it here, but I eventually do. Uh, oh, it's on the next slide. Yes, you will pay a little bit more to put these kits together. But again, it'll be stuff you know how to use, and it'll be stuff you know where it is. <clears throat> Building. Redundancies whenever possible. I think the military is what? Two is one, one is none, or something like that. Ultimately, what that means is have multiples if you can, where it makes sense to. Right? You probably don't have one smoke alarm in your house. Probably have multiple. Probably don't have one fire extinguisher. You have multiple because one could fail or you could use one completely and may need another, right? Uh, for an EDC bag, which we'll talk about definitions here in a bit, but when you build these, get a bag that blends into your environment. Don't rock around a downtown metropolitan area with camo and molly. And for those who don't know what that is, it's the big tactical looking bag, right? If you're walking down the streets of New York City with a tactical backpack. Well, probably not New York, it's bad because it's so eclectic. But if you're walking down the streets of a major metro with a tactical army bag, you're gonna stand out like a sore thumb. People are going to notice you, right? That may be a good thing. They might avoid you, but it may be a bad thing. It may work against you in a situation like that. So get something that blends in. Conversely, don't be the city slicker in the middle of the woods. Right? Don't show up to your hunting camp and dockers and you know nice loafers or something like that. Do your best to blend into your environment, whatever that is, and be comfortable. For all kits, I encourage each item to have multiple uses. Now, that's not always going to be the case because I just stood up here and told you, buy the thing that does the thing the best. Well, yes, when you don't have to carry it for 40 miles, yeah, do it. But if you need to build a kit that you may have to carry for a prolonged distance, weight is the killer. 
and I'm sure you're going to find stories in your research of people who were like, yeah, I built this huge big kit, and oh my gosh, I thank God I had it because I had to use it, but man, we had to walk, and I'm like, two miles in, I just started taking stuff out of the bag. I was like, I don't need this, I don't need that, it's too heavy, and I pared the bag down to just the things that I needed, and then they become more intrigued with survival because they face something and realize that all that stuff that they bought because it made somebody else's list, they actually didn't need. So if you can, get stuff that has multiple uses. Think like a multi-tool, right? Something that's got pliers and knife. It's not going to be the best pliers or the best knife or the best file or the best screwdriver, but it could work. And then for all kits, I encourage putting items that will get used frequently in extremely accessible places. In, I used to travel a lot on airplanes for a living, and I would carry toilet paper in my bag because we've all been to an airport, gone into a stall, and there's no toilet paper. Put that in an accessible location because the last thing you want to be doing in an airport stall is taking everything out of your bag to get to the thing at the bottom because who knows what has been on that floor, right? So put stuff that you use frequently in extremely accessible places. And I'll kind of show you uh, in one of my bags here kind of what that means. You can kind of see it in the other one. On the lid of that one, there's a flashlight right on top. Because guess what? As soon as I open that bag, I'm probably going to need a flashlight. And it sits right on top. Questions so far? Talked a lot already. Tonight might be a quicker night, which I'm not bad with. All right, types of kits. So introductions and definitions. We're going to talk first about EDC, everyday carry. You're going to hear this EDC term a lot, especially if you go on YouTube or forums or Reddit or wherever. EDC this, EDC that. It means everyday carry, which is items you keep on your body every single day. Every time you go to the, uh, leave the house, phone, wallet, keys, yeah, okay, I'm good. Guess what? That's EDC. You're already doing it. If you've got kids, you're like, oh, damn it, where's that tablet? That, we're not doing, we're doing dinner. The kid's going to get the tablet. If that's the way you parent, that's fine. But it's EDC. It's everyday care. Every time you leave the house with a kid, make sure you have a tablet. Make sure you have a snack at the very minimum because you don't want a monster on your hands. So let's talk EDC. How do you EDC all of this stuff when climate changes. Going back to our first thing, understand climate. If it's really hot outside, you might wear shorts. Well, guess what? If it's really cold outside, you're probably wearing pants, maybe even a jacket. Obviously, with all, that, all those pocket options and the jacket and the pants, you can carry more stuff. So what do you do if you're wearing shorts? Well, consider carrying the same things on the same side of your body. Would you say? So the pockets are very similar. So what he's done is he said, regardless of the shorts or pants that I have, they're the same style. It's just the pants become the shorts, right? It's whatever brand, 511 Strike pants. I have the 511 Strike uh, shorts, so all my pockets are basically the same. That's one way to do it. But what if you work in an urban environment and you have to wear slacks to work, but then on the weekends you wear jeans? Obviously, the pockets aren't going to be the same. Consider just carrying stuff on the same side of your body. So you know, my phone's always in my left pocket. My wallet's always in my right pocket. Regardless if I've got shorts or whatever, it's on the right side of my body, the left side of my body. Whatever that is. So everyday carry, I will go through what I carry every day for you simply because it's easy. It's something I can easily take out of my pocket. Uh, what's the first thing? Who remembers the first thing that I recommend everybody to start carrying? Flashlight. Flashlight is the first thing that you should carry. I carry a flashlight. It's on my left side, so I know it's either in a cargo pocket, it's in this pocket, it's off my hip pocket, whatever that looks like. I carry a flashlight every single day. It's part of my EDC. Why? Why do you think I carry a flashlight? So you can see stuff. Very simple. Well, guess what? If I shine this in your eyes, it's going to hurt, right? It's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful light might give me the extra second that I need to escape an attacker. And guess what? I haven't had to draw or use a firearm. As soon as you use a firearm, you've introduced deadly force into the fight, the world changes, and now you're responsible for everything. But if I throw this light, it goes distance, and it might buy me time to change the scenario in my favor. 
So I carry a flashlight. I recommend everybody carry a flashlight. I also carry a pen. I carried a pen before carrying a pen was COVID cool, right? <laughs> Mostly because I think, no offense, but all y'all are gross. I don't know where your fingers are, right? In your mouth, on your face, in your ears, in your eyes. No thanks, I'll carry my own pen. So when you pay for dinner or whatever and that waitress brings you that pen that's been godly knows where, yeah, I'm good, I've got my own, thank you. Also, this is made of an aluminum body. So in theory, it could be used as a striking implement if I really needed it to. It's not going to buckle under the pressure. Who's seen the uh, original Jason Bourne movie where he absolutely goes to town on that guy with just a Bic pen? That's pretty cool. I mean, John Wick and a pencil is pretty cool. John Wick and a pencil. See, I'm original. Go Jason Bourne. Yeah. Uh, so that's left side of my body. Also left side of my body, cell phone. Cell phone left side of my body. A lot of uses there. Um, we're going to talk about cell phones a lot in the digital privacy and security part. You may notice the case I have on this phone covers the rear camera and I have something that covers the front camera. And it's not a Band-Aid for those of you who still use the little Band-Aids. Um, they sell other things out there. We're going to talk a lot about phones and digital privacy and security. But I carry a phone on me. I carry uh, keys to my vehicle. I only need a fob. And I also carry a pocket knife, not because I fight with it, but because I find myself opening boxes and things like that. Honestly, a knife comes in handy. And then a wallet. Just one? Just one knife. I am not a knife man. Okay. I spend, I, what did that knife cost me? I think all of 30 bucks. Uh, and that was expensive for me. Normally, I find the cheapest knife I can find that I'm comfortable using that I know isn't going to fall apart when I take it out of my pocket. Again, going back to educate, procure, and build. I, knives for me aren't fighting tools because I don't know how to do that yet. They are just tools. Exactly. It's not an implement of weaponry. Unless I suppose I absolutely needed it and it's my last resort, maybe. But that's not something I use it for. It's just opening boxes. Wallet with RFID blocking. Who knows what RFID is? To protect the credit card. Right, to protect the credit card. What does RFID stand for? Radio frequency identification. Smart guy in the class back here. So basically, that means you walk up, you have the gas pumps. I think it was the first one. It was like mobile or something. Had to tap to pay. You just walk up, you tap. Badging in and out of places. That's RFID. If you travel internationally, there's a lot of techniques where criminals can get your information just by tapping your wallet. So if you travel internationally, consider getting something with RFID blocking. That's it. That's what I carry on my person every single day. For your passport as well? For the passport as well, yeah. There's other uh, op options for passports where you can actually hide it entirely in a part of your clothing or something so it's not with all the rest of your other stuff. So that's everyday carry. That's what I carry on my person. Does anybody carry anything different than what I carry that they're willing to share? Flashlight, pen, knife, wallet, phone, keys. Pistol. Pistol. <laughs> Tourniquet. Medication. Medication. Lock picks on your person every day? <laughs> on your person every day? That yeah, okay. Cool. Band-aids on your person every day. Cool. Basically, the limit is how much crap can you fit in your pockets, <laughs> right? Ah, we're not there yet. EDC is on your person. Very small multi-tool. Very small multi-tool, something on a key ring. Yeah, absolutely. Those are great. Little flashlights that go on key rings, little knives that go on key rings. Those are wonderful until the TSA gets them. All right, so next, EDC bag. So sticking with that, that acronym, EDC, everyday carry, everyday carry bag, purse, right? An EDC bag is a kit with items you carry with you every day. So, the bag and the items in it will likely evolve with your skill set, lifestyle, and typical environment. An EDC bag might be a backpack, might be a purse, might be a computer bag that you take to and from work. It might be a fanny pack, a man purse. I don't know. I don't care. I don't judge because guess what? I would rather have the supplies than not have the supplies. So for me, my EDC bag is here on the floor, and you can see I've kind of got the front open. I put things that I access frequently in the front. In the front is a flashlight, a tourniquet, and a radio. 
So I've got light, comms, and stop the bleed right in the front. There's also a whistle in there. It's in one of those little front pockets you can't really see. But there's a whistle in there. Why? Why a whistle? Why a whistle? Get somebody's attention. You hear people screaming all the time. I was at a, um, a pet hospital here recently, taking my pet in for their checkup, and there were two individuals at the back of the parking lot having a nice screaming match at 10 o'clock in the morning. Caught my attention, but you know what I didn't do? I didn't go help for two reasons. One, it's 10 o'clock in the morning and they're screaming. It's very likely a very, t a very specific type of person that's doing that, and I'm not going to help that situation. Uh, and two, yelling really doesn't get people's attention anymore, unfortunately. But you know what it does? A whistle. And you can blow a whistle a lot longer than you can scream, because eventually you'll blow your vocal cords out. And a child can use a whistle. Child screaming, obviously people would pay attention to that if they can hear it. But they don't have the same lung capacity, so they can't get out as far. I carry a whistle. That's why I like doing that. Also, in the top of this bag, so in this bag I've got things that fall into different classifications. I carry medical in my bag. I carry communications, multiple forms of communications in my bag. I carry, I think there's four flashlights in there, three or four flashlights in there, a couple lighters. I carry electrical tape, zip ties, because you may need to, let's say, detain someone for the police, a little citizen's arrest or something, right? Uh, I carry spare power. I carry a power bank for my phone. I carry spare batteries for things that quite, I don't even use. I've got little button batteries for watches or stuff for the optics that I carry on my handguns. So if I carry a red dot on my pistol, I've got a spare backup battery in that bag. I carry uh, double A's, triple A's, because I might be up here using a mouse and the batteries in my mouse might die. I've got it in the bag. I've got personal hygiene, which I'm sure now everybody at some, to some degree carries that mask that's now buried in the bottom of your bag or hanging from your rear view mirror, right? I've got a mask, I've got hand sanitizer. I've got eyes and ears in my bag. I've also got discrete communication where I can put an earpiece in and I can listen to the radio while I'm walking. I kind of talked about that and alluded to it last time. There's a lot of stuff in there. I carry tools. I've got a little small multi-tool in there. I've got uh, an extra knife, little things like that that I carry in this bag that support my daily needs. Now, if you're in a profession where you always need a particular type of screwdriver, put the screwdriver in your EDC bag, right? If you're in tech or something and you're constantly taking stuff apart and you need wire cutters, put wire cutters in there. Little things like that, that's what an EDC bag is for. So in your purse, you probably have the things that you need to get into or out of your home. You probably are, your keys are in there versus in your pockets. The bag, the EDC bag, is complementary to what you carry on your person. If you can't carry it on your person, it goes in the bag. And guess what? In summer, more goes in that bag because I have fewer pockets. Questions about EDC bag? I'm sure there's going to be a few. Again, I'm not going to literally stand here and go through everything that's in there, but I'm happy to, yeah. When you said multiple forms of communication, yeah. So I have amateur radio in here, and I also carry, because again, I have a child, and you got to be the cool kid in the neighborhood, little, little FRS radios, family radio service radios that you could buy at Walmart. Why? Well, because I don't always need to talk to the world, I just need to talk to the car in front. If you've ever gone on a, a vacation or something with friends and you have multiple cars in the trip, just give them all these things. You don't need ham radio to talk 40 feet, but you don't necessarily want to use your phone to do that either because you're just going to be on the phone constantly. These little things come in super handy. So multiple forms of communication. Light. Light can be a form of communication, right? To signal for help, flashlight, um, especially if the flashlight flashes something like SOS, which does everybody know SOS in Morse code? Three dots, three dashes, three dots. So three short, three long, three short. SOS. Does anybody know Morse code? I'm going to start. That's part of my 2023 goal is to learn so I can at least understand it when I hear it. I don't. I don't necessarily need to be conversational in it, but I want to have enough knowledge to be able to decode by hand. That's my goal. 
cool. All right, next, get home bag. So a get home bag is a kit that can be kept with or with you or staged somewhere to help you get to a specific location. So i.e. get home, you're going to have a get home bag. How many of you have EDC? Every hand should go up because everybody leaves the house with their phone, wallet, and keys. Everybody's got EDC to varying degrees. Who carries an EDC bag? Every female hand should be up, right, because you carry a purse. Who has a get home bag? How does it differ from your EDC bag? I'm curious. Uh, serious, serious question. I have more food. More food? Shelter? Shelter. Fire. Fire. Okay. So focused on, on longer time. How long is your get home bag good for, do you think? Three days. Three days, 72 hours. Same thing, 72 hours. Is there anything else you carry in there that's different? I keep that little blanket. I carry silk caulk in there. Just okay. Gotcha, okay. Water filter, cool. Um, what kind of water filter? The life straw? Life straw? Life, who carries life straws? I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. Don't worry. I'm gonna get it. Life straws are awesome products. In my opinion, there are three major problems with a life straw, and it's the reason I don't have one. And I'll just tell you my perspective. I'm not telling you to go home and throw away your life straw. Number one, it only filters about a thousand gallons of of water, thereabouts. I might be wrong. Might be a little more. Might be five or whatever. The the volume isn't there. Number two, you gotta get really close to that disgusting water to drink it. And number three, you cannot travel with the water. You have to be near a source of water to drink the water. So, personally, this is my water filtration kit. So it is a Nalgene bottle, and we all know, because we've all had them, these things are indestructible. It's going to be cockroaches and these that are around after nuclear war, right? But inside here, I carry a Sawyer Mini. Is that the one you were thinking of? Sawyer Mini water filter. It's a whole kit. It costs $20. What's a life straw cost? $20. Same price. You're not sacrificing much. It's got a backflow wash in here, so it can clean up to 100,000 gallons of water through this tiny little thing that fits right there. And I'll pass this around so you guys can see it. Also, it is threaded so that most water bottles can screw right on. So you dip your water bottle in your crap water, you screw it on here, you squeeze water bottle, clean water comes out the other end. Well, where do you put that clean water? You could squeeze it right into your mouth, or you can fill a vessel. So I choose a Sawyer Mini water filter over a Life Straw for those three main reasons, right? You gotta get near the disgusting stuff, you can't transport it, and it's got a much, limited, much more limited uh, lifespan. So it's a Sawyer Mini is what I choose. Yeah. Instead of the, the container like you use, I have a pair of bags that are the same company bags. Yeah. One for dirty water, yes. one for clean water. Yeah, don't get those mixed up. <laughs> don't get them mixed up. <laughs> exactly. No, so I keep everything in the Nalgene because the Nalgene will float. So if there's something in my, everything gets wet and disgusting, that at least will have its own buoyancy, right? Neutrally buoyant, it'll be at the top of the water. Um, also, the fact that the lid is closed means the stuff inside is not going to be contaminated by dust, debris, anything else. Yeah, exactly. And it sits in my car kit, which I'll get to after. But my vehicle kit, because I'm usually in my vehicle and I carry bottles of water in the vehicle, but if I need to leave, I've got something like this. Um, the Nalgene's great. Again, you can carry, what, a quart of water in that thing and, and use it over time. Also, if, again, if you find other water bottles, they screw right onto that thing. I cannot say good enough things about that Sawyer Mini. I really like it. When I flew a lot for work, that was always in the bag that I uh, carried onto the airplane. So my carry-on bag always had that bottle in it. Not that I was concerned about the airplane crashing, but... Everybody's got the fear, their own fears, right? All right, so a get-home bag. I personally do not have a designated get-home bag. That's why I was curious how you guys had yours differ. I believe in a tiered and complementary system, meaning 
My EDC bag is my primary. I can add to my EDC bag or change the items in it through the other kits that I have staged, whether it's a vehicle kit or something like that. I don't have, like I said, a bag that's just defined as a get-home bag or designated as that. I stage my items in such a manner. So what I have on my person gets me to my EDC bag. What I have in that bag gets me to my vehicle, and my vehicle supports my journey home, whether that's in the vehicle or the other stuff that I have staged in there that then allows me to add to, thank you, my EDC bag to get home. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just how I choose to do things. Shelter is a wonderful thing, especially if you're going up into the mountains, you're going to more rural, rural areas. I didn't see that many rural areas, so I was not necessarily concerned about shelter. I'm either going to be moving or there's going to be a building somewhere that I can gain access to, Martin, gain access to, to stay out of weather, elements, things like that, hide from somebody or a group of somebodies. My environment, my scenarios that I believe most likely to happen to me do not include spending three days in the woods. That's why I don't have that. But that doesn't mean that your scenarios won't have that. So consider a get home bag. A vehicle kit, a kit that is kept in your vehicle with items designed to support function and reliability of the vehicle. That is very specific. A vehicle kit is your car or your vehicle's EDC. It's your car's EDC bag. Each vehicle should have its own kit. And there are many different types of vehicles. On-road vehicles, off-road vehicles, motorized vehicles, self-propelled vehicles, skateboard, right? If I've got a skateboard, I probably carry a spare wheel, spare truck, something like that, grip tape, whatever. I have motorcycles that I take on and off-road. That motorcycle has a tank bag with a tire repair kit, actually two tire repair kits because I'm weird. Um, I've also got basically all the same stuff I have in here. I have on my motorcycle just in a smaller form factor because I only have so much space to store the stuff. The vehicle kit is designed to support the vehicle, not you. Having said that, could a vehicle kit store stuff that could also support you? Yeah. So, what would go in a vehicle kit? How about a flashlight? <laughs> How about a medical or a trauma kit? Because guess what? If you have to change a tire on the side of the road, you may bust a knuckle. Let's be completely honest, right? So that medical kit's going to come in handy when you inevitably hurt yourself trying to fix something. So again, the vehicle kit's designed to support the vehicle, but that medical kit's obviously not going to support the vehicle. It's going to support you supporting the vehicle. Spare parts, fuses, bulbs. Who carries spare fuses in their car? Awesome. Spare bulbs? Nobody. Oh, they're all LEDs. They're going to last forever. Until they don't. <laughs> Until there's a short somewhere, right? Uh, duct tape or zip ties? Who carries duct tape? I was really expecting more hands. Zip ties? Okay. More hands with zip ties and duct tape. Wow. MacGyver would not be proud. Jumper cables. Yeah. Fix-a-flat. Tire repair kits. All right, hands for fix-a-flat, hands for tire repair kit. Wow, split, actually more than repair kit. I have used a tire repair kit, little plugs, to great effect, uh, to the tune of about 60,000 miles on a tire. Plug it, go another 60,000. So, oh, well, they're temporary. That's lawyer speak. Because guess what they're going to do when you take it to a tire repair shop? They're going to plug it the same way. They may patch it from the inside and take it off the wheel and charge you more, but they're going to plug it very similarly. They ruin the tires. And they ruin the tire. Oh, you know, it, I couldn't. I couldn't plug it where it was, how big it was. you got to buy a new tire. Who's heard that before? Every hand in this room, right? Fix a flat tire repair kits, incredibly, incredibly helpful. How about those? We've got... The small little jump start battery. Yeah, a little little battery bank they're, that jump start. Yep. They're awesome. They are great. They and they charge your phone and all that kind of stuff. Right. And it has a light on it. And it has a light on it. I'm sure that's the brightest light known to man, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. It's like the second sun. My Baofeng has a little light on it too. Anyway. Um, spare set of keys. Spare set of keys? What if you have a keyless car? <laughs> you don't need one. <laughs> Right, right. 
What about a spare battery for your key fob? Who's gotten in the car, hit the button, and gone, your battery's low with your key fob? You went, shit, I don't even know how to take that thing apart, forget alone what, what kind of battery is in it. But remember, I carry spare batteries. So I may have a spare battery for your key fob. If you've got a low one, we might be able to help you out tonight. Uh, the first time that happened to me, every time I get a car, I usually go buy the battery and put it into the rocket. There you go. That's great. So you can't get in the car because the battery doesn't work. <laughs> yes. Yep. Who knows that, that your key fob, where am I? Who knows that this thing is a key? So most, it's a key. But did you know that about your vehicle? So it's, you have to know it's there. And then you're like, but I, I don't have a place to put it in the car. A little plastic piece pops off and there's a normal thing underneath it. Circa 1950, whatever, right? But wait, that's only to get into your glove compartment. No, access the vehicle. If, if, if the battery in this remote dies, how else would I access the vehicle? So on the driver's door, there's a little plastic piece that pops off next to the door handle, and that key will fit in there and open the door. Yep. In theory, I've not tried the starting of the vehicle with the key. I don't even know if that would be possible, but I could at least get in the car and maybe have shelter. <coughs> Which, when we talk about, I believe it's the next one, we talk about home and vehicle preparedness. We're going to get into more depth as to how your vehicle can support you because it's a lot more ways than you, than you can even think of. What, what else do you guys carry in your vehicle kits? Blanket. A blanket. Yes, absolutely. Do you need one in July? You may. You may. If you're wet and you don't have a change of clothes, you could potentially go hypothermic. So, rain suit, yeah, blanket, yep. I carry a spare set of uh, running shoes, socks. And I'm so glad you said that, yes. Footwear that you can walk in because if you need it, yeah. Um, who works in a, in a profession that requires nice clothes? Clothing, like you can't, right, you work uptown, you work in an office setting, something like that. What if you, uh, your tire goes flat on the side of the road on the way into work? You gonna get covered in crap? So in here, I've got a coverall. It's one of those like hazmat looking suit things, but it's just paper or whatever it is. But it'll keep me clean enough that I won't look like a schmuck coming into the office after I have to change the tire, right? So little things like that, that don't cost a lot of money. If you're late to work. If you're late to work, you can't go in and look at pristine. So you take this and you throw it on your boss's desk. And proof, proof I was out. Go look at my car. It's got a donut on it. Well, thank you. I did a good job. Yeah. I have a pipeliner friend who at any given week could be in Pennsylvania or down Louisiana or relatively local. Besides his everyday carry, a get-home bag, it also has a, I'm never coming home back. That is an individual who is extremely aware of scenarios that they may happen to them, likely because, and if I'm, I'm going to speculate for a minute, I would venture a guess to say that this person has been to many crisis affected areas to do their job, right? You said they're, they're a linesman, right? So they're obviously restoring communications, pipeline. restoring utilities, pipeline, yeah. So we're some of the same thing. Right, so restoring utilities to people who were affected by a hurricane, a tornado, a whatever, a crisis environment, probably has seen what it's like to be unprepared and has told themselves that's not going to happen to me. So the I'm never coming home bag, you'll hear to refer to as an inch bag. I-N-C-H, I'm never coming home. So that's another one for you. I didn't even include that one in here. We'd be here all, all night. Although the next one kind of talks to, is there anything else? Vehicle kits. What else do you carry? Yeah. We, if we're traveling, we take cash. Cash. I take extra fuel, death. Um, so you have an, a diesel vehicle, oh, yeah. so you need diesel exhaust fluid, that's right? That's right. We take uh, radiator, uh, they call it uh, fluid. Yep. yep. The back of the truck is uh, takes care of itself. Right. So it's 
you have the same thing. It's just it's a bed of a truck. A porta potty in the back of the truck. A little bucket with bags and all that, right? Right. You gotta go. You gotta go. Right. If you're traveling in snow, we're gonna go up to Pennsylvania to see the kids, and you get caught in a blizzard. What are you gonna do? You're right. going to hunker down in that truck, and mm -hmm. 10 or 15 extra gallons is going to get you through till temperatures get up. True. Good. Who has watched any Survivor Man stuff? Like, nobody? I want one hand. Long time ago. So he did an episode, Survivor Man 10 Days, where he survived in Norway. And in Norway, he had a vehicle. And so he showed what it was like to survive with a vehicle, and he did things that he wouldn't normally do to show what you could do if you chose to make this decision that leads to that leads to that um and by day three he was like i get it i see why people stay with their cars um and yeah just don't let it become your coffin understand there may be a time to get out and walk and guess what it, it might be five miles to the help over this hill down the road a little further mm -hmm. But you don't know what it's like there. You came from this way. It might be 20 miles back, but you know what that is. I would encourage you to consider the backward movement versus the forward movement. Because if it's already that bad where you are that you've stopped, what's it going to be like even further? So don't be afraid to go back. It's going to feel demoralizing. But would you rather feel demoralized or not feel at all? We usually keep protein bars. Protein bars are fantastic. Yeah, they usually keep really well unless it's summer and then they melt. Yeah. Lots of water. Right. So you're prepared for the journeys that are ahead of you, and you've wargamed scenarios that may happen. Right. It's very important. What about the tool that cuts the um, seatbelt and matches up? Oh, the absolutely. Good. How, how many minutes have we been talking about this? Finally, it came up. Yes, very important. Very important. Why are car windows so hard to break? Because they're tempered are tempered right so the it's it's the same reason a spider can walk on the top of the water it's got tension on the top of that water but as soon as you break that tension then it's really easy you just go right through it so a car window can be very hard to break unless you get a very fine point and can scratch it and pop it then it will break very easily shatters into a million pieces right safety glass carrying seatbelt cutters window brake tools and things like that is very important. I would encourage one for each seat that is normally occupied. So if you ride with three people in your car, there should be one next to each of those three seats, whatever those seats are. Oh, that's going to vary greatly on your... Oh boy, we had one. And you know what's funny? I watched you two talk to each other. Oh yeah, we forgot to put our phones on silent. I want you. You obviously didn't weren't privy to that conversation. Yeah. Um, right. So Such. Right. Well, yeah, because that's easy to remember and it's really cool to market. Really easy to market. Realistically, can you hold your breath for three minutes? Yeah, no, me either. I maybe have 90 seconds if, I'm, if I've got it in me, right? But what you're saying is it takes 90 seconds for the car to fill with water. That's going to vary. No, I thought you only have a certain period of time in order to break out because if you don't, then there's too much pressure coming in. And you have to I thought there was some... Right. Was some with the, so the opening the door, yes. Uh, uh, Mythbusters did a fantastic episode on this. I'm telling you, go back, watch shows from early 2000s here, but... Go back and watch Mythbusters. They did a really good episode on exactly that. They basically get a pool and they lower a car into a pool with, I believe it's Adam at the wheel. And Adam tries to do different things. He tries to open the door when he's, you know, okay, the water is up to this level in the door and I'll try to open it. Can't open it because the pressure is so great. Well, can I open the door right away? Yes or no. Uh, what if I break the window? Can I break the window? Typically the glass will break. Yes. If you're popping it from the inside, everything's just going to come in. But now you've got glass with the force of water coming behind it. I don't mind a few scratches if it means I can get out alive, right? Um, each vehicle is going to vary wildly on how long it takes to fill because they're all built to a different degree of quality control. So panel gaps might be... If you're in a Tesla, you're probably going to be cooked long before you're out of the vehicle. 
Um, I know the batteries are sealed, but those compartments are not. If you've ever seen the build quality of a Tesla, probably not the best. Sorry for anybody who has a Tesla, but you can go out to your own car and stick your fingers in the panel gaps, and it's going to be different. Um, the It's good to know how to use them, too, right? So each window brake tool, they might be spring-loaded. Like, I think it's the Rescue Me is a spring-loaded tool. Uh, I've got others that look like little mini hammers. Those are... I don't want to say dumb proof, but they look like a hammer. You use it like a hammer. Um, and it's got another thing on the bottom. There's other companies that sell pocket knives with little like slits in them, and you can use that to cut the seatbelt. As long as the pocket knife is sharp and you haven't used it to cut up 9,000 boxes, right? So consider that. You'd want to get out of your seatbelt first. Get out of your seatbelt first. Who knows? Before you break the window. If, if you're driving, yeah, that's a good point. Get out of the seatbelt before you break the window. When you're driving and you get out of your vehicle, what, what hand do you pop your seatbelt with? Anybody who says left is lying. Yeah. Everybody, re car off, poop, pop seatbelt. Well, guess what? In, in a situation, you're going to be hand on the wheel, pop that seatbelt. Seatbelt's going to catch your arm. So practice swimming out, pop it with the left hand. Well, seatbelt goes. Hand, well, you would, but with the passenger, you're not controlling anything. So your arms are unlikely to be out in front of you doing stuff. You're going to reach down, hit that, and it's going to fly okay in december of last year i was four cars behind a really bad accident on 77 north uh to the point where the vehicle i came up to to help the uh, occupants of i had no kind of no idea what kind of vehicle it was i knew it was white beyond that i couldn't tell you uh december 21 yep or yeah december 21 the it was a box truck that had done 40 miles an hour and just absolutely tattooed the uh, rear end of this SUV. SUV then hits every other car in front of it. It looked like a, a, a lunchbox, like a crushed can or something like that. It was bad. I have a dash cam for many reasons, but out of curiosity, I went back and watched my reaction when I got out of the car to see what hand I hit that seatbelt thing with. And it was my left. And I was so proud of myself because all that stupid stuff that I do, I get to the grocery store, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be tactical. Guess what? It came into play. I'm not saying that it was extremely life and death and I needed to get out and do something, but I didn't know that at the time. And I reached down and popped it with my left hand. And I was very proud of myself for doing that. Consider taking these little steps because you never know when you might actually have to use that. So when you get home tonight, you park your car in the driveway. Oh, that instructor guy, he said, uh, left hand. If I'm the driver, I got to use my left hand to pop. Now, if you're in England, Ireland, wherever, you drive on the other side of the road, it's the other way around. So Everything's mirror image. Why do you need to do that with your right What's that? Why do you need to unlock your... So if, you, if you're coming to a stop in a vehicle and you go to pop your seatbelt and your hand's on the wheel, that seatbelt's going to come up and catch your arm. And then if you try to jump out of the car, that seatbelt's still got your arm. You might get about two steps and you're going to get pulled over backwards. Right? Because your, your mind is so focused on task at hand that your senses are deprived so that, the, oh man, if something tugging at my arm, you might not even know what it is. You can go in on YouTube and look at people who have tried to get out of vehicles. You see it all the time. You watch uh, like a car, a car chase. You watch a criminal get out at the end, seatbelt always comes flying out of the car with them because they wow, slamming it and they probably don't even put it in park, right? They just hit the seatbelt and go to get out and that seatbelt, that left arm goes flying as they go running from the canine cop, which never ends well, but it's always great to watch, isn't it? You watch them dogs just hammer them. Oh, I root for them every time. <laughs> if it's their fourth car they've just jacked, then no, probably not wearing a seatbelt. But very likely, it's... it's it's different now than it was even 20 years ago. It's compulsory now to put a seatbelt on, get in a car. Again, talk about great marketing. Marketing. So that's vehicle kit. We got one more. Bug out bag. Bug out bag, a kit with items designed to sustain extended periods of survival with minimal external resources. And that last part is the key. Minimal external resources. It's a bag that's got everything you need to survive. Right? Who's got a bug out bag? Show of hands. Two, three, four, five. Awesome. I don't. I don't have a bug out bag. Why? My family cannot survive out of a single bag. It's not just me anymore. I can't just throw something in a car and be gone. 
It's not just me. I cannot live out of a single bag with my family. Can't do it. But I do have stuff staged in such a manner that I can throw into the vehicle. It's not a bag. It's multiple totes, but we can get this stuff in the vehicle quickly and get out pretty quick. And now we can live out of the vehicle as our primary. Again, you're going to have to figure out what the most likely scenario is for you. But the vehicle is going to be our primary. And we can live out of that with support from the other stuff that we can throw in it. Freeze-dried foods. Wonderful. Do you have the water available to rehydrate them? And do you have a way to heat that water? Well, that's what's nice about freeze-dried, because you don't have to rehydrate. All right. You can actually just eat it. Pop it in your mouth, your saliva does. What if you're already dehydrated yourself and you cannot create spit in your mouth? Yeah, but you have an option. Right. If you have, that's what I kind of, as I was researching, I thought, well, that's kind of a cool aspect. I can rehydrate them if I have water. But if my water was sort of limited and I just needed nourishment, you know, mm -hmm. and I was going to drink my water, have a little bit of this. So it was kind of like, you know, which one would mm -hmm. I go for? Right. The food that you're looking at to have a good one. Thanks for coming out. The food that you guys have in your kits, is it the freeze-dried dehydrated stuff or is it canned goods? And it's rhetorical. I want you to answer this to yourselves, not to me. Is it a mountain house food snack? Those are cool. Have you ever tried to live off a day of just mountain house? Who's been in the military and tried to live off MREs for three days, 72 hours? It's not fun. I encourage you to prepare and store food in your kits that is food you actually eat for two very specific reasons. One, it is amazing what a good meal will do to your psyche, to your mental health, not just your physical health, right? It's a sense of normalcy. And number two, you can actually rotate that food. Because if you actually eat that food on a regular basis, the protein bars, yeah, hey, I like these protein bars, I eat them. So I know that when I buy a new pack, the new pack goes in the vehicle, the old pack comes out, and that's the one I put in my pantry that I eat off of. And then I just rotate it that way. But if you buy all Mountain House food and you just put it in the car, you're less likely to rotate it. And you're also less likely to actually enjoy it when you eat it, because now this is survival food. So while you're eating it, your mind's in survival mode. But if you pack a can of ravioli, and every Wednesday you have a can of ravioli at home, it's just what you've done ever since you were a kid, when you're in a survival situation, you pop a can of ravioli, it's going to be a morale boost, not just a nutritional boost. Consider that. I'm not saying it's the right way to do it. I'm just saying consider it. Bug out bags are great, but if you have to travel by foot, they can be very cumbersome. So bug out bags again, show of hands. How heavy? Have you weighed it? How heavy? I would say it's about 20, 20, 22 and 25 pounds. Between 22 and 25? Yeah, that's about right. About right? Mm -hmm. How heavy? Probably about 30 pounds. 30 pounds. But it's, it's strategically built. Good. Mm-hmm. So is it a bug out bag or a get home bag? Uh, it's a bug out bag because I can leave in my home. Okay. Get home bag when you get to my house, but bug out bag is any number of scenarios that I just don't want to hunker down in my house. Right. For whatever reason. Okay. What you call it is how you use it. If right. Mine is sitting at home right now. If I had to grab it to leave the house, it's a bug out bag. If I put it in my truck because I'm going more than an hour away from the house, then it's a get home bag. Okay, so keep in mind a bug out bag with minimal external resources. So talking about a get home bag, that's why I asked him how, how, how long could you do it for? 72 hours, I've got enough food and water for 72 hours. Cool, then it's a get home bag. You know you've got three days before you need to start scavenging, you know, whatever, finding stuff along the way, resupplying off of something else. A bug out bag, minimal external resources. This is, I'm going into the woods and I'm gonna support myself and nobody's gonna come bother me because I'm gonna to try to hide from everybody. And how long Resupply is unlikely to, to happen that way. An extended period of time. What, like, it's whatever you define it as. It could be three days, could be a week, could be a month. 
what is your scenario that you're planning for? If it's the zombies, could be the walking dead, could be indefinite, right? If it's a, a hurricane, might be two and a half, three weeks, depending on how bad it is and how affected the area is before the roads are in such a place that you can get back in. Are you going to the woods to survive in the woods? Or are you going to a hotel in an unaffected area? In a hurricane, guess what? And this is something that people seem to forget a lot. And I mentioned it last class. The scenario that you're preparing for, let's take a hurricane, for example, as, as a localized event. Who here was affected by Katrina, personally? No hands, because you weren't in Louisiana when it hit. It's a localized event, right? So if you get out of that zone, get to a hotel. You don't necessarily, your bug out bag does not have to be necessarily set up in such a manner that you're surviving in the woods for two and a half weeks. Just go to a hotel, go to a neighbor's house, go to a friend's house, go to a family member's house in another state. But I don't want to be a burden on them. I want to bring the supplies that I need or want or can have or can carry. So my bug out bag might not be um, Alice pack from you know Vietnam era with woodland camo and I'm going to go live in the woods. It might be two plastic totes full of Nintendo Switch and an iPad and stuff that I'm going to use when I get to the hotel or something like that. People hear bug out bag and they immediately go to middle of the woods starting a fire with a flint and steel. It might be that, but it might not be that. It's going to depend on your scenario and your environment. We go, we, it was, I think one of the first slides that I talked about was environment, strengths, weaknesses, climate, population density, infrastructure, ability to resupply, what's your, what's your aid look like nearby. All of that comes into play when you build your kits. Varies with time, life, experience, likely scenario. All that has to come into play when you put your stuff together. Any other questions, comments? Yeah. great question. I think it absolutely has changed, mostly because society has changed. Culture has changed. What's acceptable has changed. I'm not saying that's for the better either. I think that um, there's a lot that we could, quote, get back to. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. What I believe to be the most likely scenario that my family will face has evolved, for sure. Um, 2016, in this area, saw a time of turmoil, saw a time of unrest. And it was something that, oh, it was 2018, 2018. And it was a time that absolutely that changed for me. For a few months, my likely scenarios were flip-flopped. Um, as seasons change, as political climates change, as geopolitical or global events happen, my scenarios change. It's something that when we talk uh, communications uh, in the, what, not the next seminar, the one after, when we talk communications, we're going to talk about being kind of in the know as to what's going on, not just locally, but beyond locally. Even though you're your event is going to be very likely localized to where you are. There may be events that are spread out broader or an event happening somewhere else may have uh, an indirect impact as to what's going on where you are. Or people may think, well, if it's happening there, I can do it here too, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, you have to, you have to, be in the know as to what's going on, be apprised of current events, situations, not only on your street, your neighborhood, your county, your state, but country, the world. Know what's going on. You don't have to be a, 
Uh, the only class I've ever failed was political science. I don't understand that process. Quite frankly, I think it's a bunch of waving your hand in one section and doing something else over there, right? It's, it's smoke and mirrors. It's the only class I've ever failed. I've never been good at it. But I got to have a basic understanding of scenario A happens, scenario B happens. There's a, a likely event that comes off of each of those. And how is it going to directly impact me and my family or my location or my scenarios? You have to be in the know to understand what's going on. You could be a hurricane right off the coast right now, but if you've never watched the news, you might think, ah, oh, it's a beautiful, bright, sunny day. Until it's not. And you got about four hours left, right? You see the people all the time. They're boarding up the windows, the seasoned people in those affected areas. They board up and they get out. They bug out. But there's other people who are like, well, it's not going to be that bad. It's nice out. And those are the tourists that are on, you know, not local to the area. They haven't seen it before. And then they take up other resources public safety, first responder resources. Long-winded answer, sorry, salesperson, no, I mentioned was, that. There's no, I don't think there's any direct question, but it's good to know that it has evolved. It's just because everybody has and should. It'll evolve with life experience as well, right? So as your family changes, as your environment changes, you might move from state to state. That may change how you prepare and what your likely scenario is. You might move houses, same county, same zip code. But now you're in a floodplain you weren't before. Well, guess what? Your scenario should change. So as your, as your life changes, as you become more experienced and understand, you know what? Hey, I, I can handle certain events now that I couldn't before. Uh, I also think that with the new knowledge that I have, education, that a different scenario is likely or more likely. Other questions, comments? As I age, it changes too. As you age, it changes too. There are things I can't do that I would have been able to do before. Uh, think EDC, right? As age changes, medications. I heard medications as part of an EDC. Who's got a severe allergy carries an EpiPen? Nobody in this room carries an EpiPen. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, you may eventually develop an allergy. Your body changes, what, every seven years or something they say, right? You might develop an allergy you didn't know you had before. That changes.